Welcome to Moving Markets. Keeping up with current market trends and navigating the ever-changing economic landscape can be challenging. Your host, J.R. Gondek, will share his insight and help you tackle these topics. J.R. is Managing Director and Partner of The Learner Group and co-author of Family Value at Risk. He leads investment research on the team and is responsible for shaping strategic policy. He works closely with families to promote intentional communication and drive collaboration between all generations to ensure a smooth transition of wealth. Come along for the ride and let's start navigating. Hello everyone, thank you for joining this episode of Moving Markets, the crypto series. Today I'm joined by David Sokolowski, Wealth Advisor with the Learner Group. And today we're gonna to cover a couple of topics as we continue to learn together in crypto. So today we're gonna to talk about the blockchain and how does it work, kind of high level. We're gonna look into crypto wallets and uh, what's behind those and, and generally how do they operate. And third, where do transactions take place with cryptocurrency? So first, let's start off, David. What is the blockchain? You want to walk us through kind of high level, what is it and how does it work? Sure. So we have a, an infographic here that kind of shows how the system works. But at its most basic level, you have a number of computers across the network that essentially records all of the same transactions. So what that creates is a consistent set of transactions and a similar or the same record for everybody. Um, so that there's no questions whether money or another object was sent and transferred. So basically, if you think about it, I would have a computer, you would have a computer, and the folks listening would have a computer that would record any time that I would send, let's say, a dollar to you or from you. And if you think about how that's been done historically is some one company would have that. So if you think about a traditional credit card company, they would record all of your transactions and they would be the only ones that have it. Theoretically, those could be changed, but because here you have millions of computers that record all of the same transactions, uh, the record becomes very, very difficult, um, if not impossible, to manipulate. And so it creates a very consistent and um, trustworthy record. And it's fairly instantaneous, David, I would imagine. So if you think about maybe some, some old ways, like I think about my kids, are they going to know what a check is in the future? So if you look at how we used to transfer money, write out a physical check. I give it to you. You take it to the bank. You hope I have enough money in my account and the check clears, right? And, and you'd have bounced checks. Is that a thing of the past? Well, that's. I think that's one of the things that this, one of the challenges that this solves, because exactly like you said, in the past, you'd receive a check, you take it to your bank and wonder, is the money there? Or we've all heard of the idea of, you know, don't cash this check till... Friday or don't cash until a certain day. So this way the transactions are verified and you know that the money is coming from an account. So later it can't be bounced or, or pulled back. So it takes care of a lot of the uh, ambiguity around whether a payment is going to clear. Let's talk about another area that seems interesting that, you know, let's think about a pawn store. What do pawn stores typically do, right? You buy and sell goods that are, they're on the market. Do you, do you see security of changing things from a, a secondary market and namely pawn stores and, and stuff that may not have been purchased legally? Yeah, so the blockchain has a lot of benefits like we talked about. I mean, one is taking care of the ambiguity or the uncertainty of whether a payment's gonna clear. There's benefits to the authentication, which I think is what you're talking about. So 
in the pawn store example, I think we've all watched an episode or two of Pawn Stars here and there. And typically when they bring in some artifact from the past, uh, there's an expert that comes in, takes a look and sees if it's authentic and has to validate that. So one of the benefits with the blockchain that you get is a record of all of these transactions. So if you think about a luxury good, we've talked about this in the past. Um, if you think about an expensive watch or a purse maybe, or even a piece of art. So what it will come with is a digital certificate. Now, if somebody wants to go and transfer that digital certificate when they're selling the product, it's just a much better way to make sure that it's real. So for example, if you bought a Rolex watch uh, directly from the manufacturer, it now comes with a digital certificate. And that digital certificate shows that you purchased it from the manufacturer. When you go to resell it, you have uh, the link to show that you've actually bought it and it's authentic. Um, and you can only sell it once. So if you think about like a receipt, somebody could theoretically photocopy it, right? Or a certificate of authenticity, somebody could manipulate it. But in this case, there's just one digital transaction. And if I'm buying it from you, at least I have the benefit of seeing you actually purchased it from, from an authentic manufacturer or from somebody who bought it from them and transferred it to you down the road. So it takes care of a lot of the ambiguity with security around items that you're purchasing, specifically items that are very expensive. And each time you sort of add a chain to the block and on the transactions is generally how it works. Yeah, so the way, the way that it works, I guess at the high level is everyone records a series of transactions and those transactions then create a block. So once that block is fixed, we record all of the transactions on all of the different computers. So if you think about it, um, it's broken down into chunks and it does take a lot of computing power. So um, for example, I, if I was to send you a dollar, you were to take that dollar and go spend it at the store. A number of those transactions could be linked, listed together. So it just creates one block. And then the next block is built off of those transactions. So for example, you could think of it as either a transactions over a period of time or just an overall number. But once that record is set, that block is set, it's recorded on everyone's computer and all of the next transactions take place from there. So you can't ever really go back and edit a block. Let's think next about intellectual property. How, how is this changing intellectual property around maybe an author or, or those kinds of things? Yeah, so historically one of the challenges with intellectual property has been, and we know that with intellectual property law, the, the person who owns the patent or the rights to something should be compensated each time it's used. I think if you look at different estates, they get compensated like every time a song is played, right? But it's very hard to keep track of that. So one of the things that the blockchain allows and, and crypto really allows is that you can track how a document flows from one place to another. So, and a good example um, is the college bookstore, right? So if you think about it, you buy a new book, you then maybe go sell it back to the bookstore at the end of the year, or you list it on another marketplace and sell it. Technically, the author should be compensated for that every time there's a sale because it's very, very difficult to track. That's typically not done. But with the blockchain, again, you can see how a digital asset like a book in digital format go, transfers ownership from one owner to the next to the next. And each time there's a transaction, the, the author should receive a royalty. So this alleviates some of that as well. Let's turn to the wallets. Many of us think about a wallet historically, right? We had cash in there, we have credit cards, we had checks maybe, you know, now as we think about crypto wallets, how, how is it different or the same, David? Yeah, so I guess the question I'd ask you is you listed some of the things in your wallet, right? You listed cash, 
So currency of some sort, credit cards, again, currency, a debit card, again, kind of linked to currency. But what else? You would probably have an ID in there, typically a driver's license or some kind of identification. You might have pictures, at least historically, right before the cell phone, you have maybe pictures of your you know, family. Um, membership cards, all of these things can be stored in a digital wallet. And we're seeing that with the advent of NFTs, which are non-fungible tokens. So you could essentially carry now in your virtual wallet, um, not like a wallet that you could fit in your pocket because it would be enormous. But if you think about the things you can carry in there, you could put a lot more different kinds of cards, different kinds of collectibles, things that you'd like to have, authenticity for the items that you're carrying, concert tickets. So if you think about a wallet, it's, it's it's almost like a safety deposit box or a safe. You can have a lot more in there, but there's two types of wallets and one is the hardware wallet and one is the software wallet. So I think the traditional wallet is more like the hardware wallet. Some of the cons of a hardware wallet, maybe we'll start there is if you lose your traditional wallet, if you leave your wallet in the street, there's a good chance that, you know, you may never get it back. Um, if you do get it back, you may not get all the cash that was in there back. So, with a hardware wallet, you have a secure, typically like a USB drive that stores all your, your keys and all of your information. Um, and that is, that it comes with certain benefits and certain drawbacks. You know, the one drawback, the biggest one that I mentioned is the fact that if you lose it, you really don't have the opportunity to get it back. There's a story you can Google um, that talks about a, a man who threw out uh, a wallet with I think over $300 million worth of crypto on it at the time. I think that number is a lot higher now. And there's a lot of instances of people losing it, forgetting their passwords, et cetera. Um, but some of the benefits of it are that it's, it is more secure. So if you think about stories of uh, ransomware or any kind of hacks, attacks on servers, et cetera, um, the hardware wallets avoid a lot of that. Um, on the flip side, you have the software wallet, which just comes with the convenience. So that's something that lives as a piece of code or a piece of software on your phone. Um, you can access it anytime from anywhere. It's essentially in the cloud. So you can pull it up from your computer. You can pull it up from your friend's house. Uh, but then it comes with those kinds of risks that we've seen from time to time where either an exchange can get hacked, uh, somebody can get access to your computer and lock it down and you have to pay to unlock it. And so there's issues of security and there's pros and cons to both. So I think, if you're exploring these different options, it's important to ask what's more important is ease of access more important than the security. Um, and you know, how organized am I with my things and how likely am I to lose this device that may have some or all of my money? Well, if we look next, if you're lucky enough to have some money in your virtual or crypto wallet, and now you want to buy or sell crypto, let's talk about that. How, how does this typically work right now? Yeah. So, Right now, there's a number of different exchanges um, that are out there. And so it's not very different. I think if you take the parallels from things that we know and are familiar with, I know crypto can sound like it's very complex or overwhelming, but there are direct parallels to it um, in the same way that we have, for example, with, like I said, a traditional wallet or with a traditional exchange. So the way that a, a crypto exchange works is you can, do it online so you can download one of the popular ones that are listed um, on various different websites but essentially you have the exchange that you go on you can pull money you can link your bank account so take your um, traditional currency like the us dollar and transfer it into this 
crypto wallet that we talked about. Um, some wallets are linked with exchanges. So for example, Coinbase is one, um, Binance is another. So on these exchanges, you can have your wallet integrated and then you can link it directly to your traditional bank account. Let's say, for example, Chase. Um, and you can pull money, let's say $100 from your Chase account to your wallet. Um, that's just a transaction that you process once it's linked. And then you can select which cryptocurrencies you want to buy. And as you're buying currencies, so thinking about Bitcoin trading around $60,000, let's say, um, Ethereum trading at a couple thousand dollars. So if you wanted to buy $100 worth, you can definitely do that. They're, they're divisible to any US dollar equivalent, essentially. And so if you're buying any of these tokens or coins, what you're doing is converting it at today's rates, um, at, the, at the rate at the time that you're doing the transaction. And you can buy a tenth of a coin, a hundredth of a coin, and some of them go out to six or eight decimal places. So you, you can be very, very specific with it. Unlike a traditional dollar, I guess where you have pennies, you could break it down to 1%. Um, you can get a lot more uh, defined with cryptocurrency. But how, how does trading work, David? Is it is it free? Are there charges? Yeah, so it really it really kind of depends on, on the different networks and um, depends on the networks and it depends on what you're trying to buy. So I'll give two examples. If you're using a platform like Coinbase, they have the traditional platform and the professional platform. Both of them are free to anyone who joins. If you use the traditional platform, the fee is a little bit higher. Um, it's about a percent and a half. If you use the Coinbase Pro, which is free to anyone, um, that is about half a percent. So there is a difference in fees, but I think the fees get very, very high once you start thinking about some of these non-fungible tokens. And that's what some of the future coins and different systems will look to solve. So I'll give an example. I was looking at um, transaction fees, which are essentially called gas fees. Um, and in some cases, they can be significant. It could be, you know, sometimes more than the, per the price of an item that you're trying to purchase. And it really depends on when transactions are going through. So typically those fees are lower in the afternoon on a weekend when maybe not as many people are sitting in front of a computer and are typically much higher during a traditional work week where you have folks who are doing this, you know, as their job. I guess one other thing to point out about exchanges is that unlike the stock exchange, which is closed for some holidays, is closed in the evenings, um, the crypto exchanges are open all day and all night, 24 seven. And so what that creates is, you know, obviously a lot more opportunity to do trades, but it also requires you to pay a lot more attention to it uh, because something can happen in the middle of the night that results in the price moving significantly. The other thing you have to be aware of as you, you look at exchanging, if you think about traveling and you fly into another country and you wanna exchange some US dollars at the currency exchange, many times you'll walk in and you'll see the currency exchange and it says free, right? But then when you look at what the exchange rate between the currency is of what they're offering and what you're actually getting, the charge is the spread between where the, the real market is and where you're exchanging. So when, when you look at some of the crypto exchanges out there, there might not be a transaction charge, but when you look at what you're gonna transact at and where the spot market is, that's the spread. So the fees could be significant when you look at, at areas like that. Kind of recapping today, we just wanted to look high level at 
kind of what the blockchain is, how does it work, some wallets and exchanges. So with this, on the next episode, Angela Grannon, Wealth Advisor with the team will join. And we're gonna cover some common misconceptions, some myths around crypto as we continue to learn together. So with that, we wanna thank everyone for tuning in and listening today and we'll see where we go from here. The Learner Group is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The Learner Group and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or emissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the Learner Group and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates.